Thank you for downloading Fearless in Devotion, a podcast all about Wrexham AFC. Here they come, our mighty champions, raise your voices to the anthem, marching with our mighty army, Wrexham is the name, Fearless in Devotion. So welcome to the latest edition of Fearless in Devotion. It was never in doubt, really, was it, Liam? We knew we'd win that. Well, it was uh, it was a walk in the park, you know, just like everyone predicted that four or five nil absolute battering. Um, I think it felt a bit like it had a mind wipe in pre-season. You sort of go in full of optimism and, you know, the end result was great, but bloody hell was it hard work. Eastley playing uh, silly buggers from about 10 minutes in. But uh, thank God for Elliot Lee is all I can say. Yeah, he looked a class above, drifting in off the left. Tim, any any sort of worries for you in that display? Uh, a lack of bastard midfielder. We still need somebody with some some teeth. I just think they cut through us occasionally for that middle berth. So I don't know. It, it wasn't you know against more sterner opposition, shall we say? That might that might you know find us coming unstuck, but. On the whole, you know, it wasn't too bad. First first game of the season is always a bit weird, isn't it? So, yeah, there's, there's things to be worked on and we will, we will get better. There's no doubt about it. But if you play pretty average and can still win, then that tells you all you need to know about where we're at in terms of squad depth and so on and so forth now. So, yeah, pretty happy with the way it panned out. Yeah, I mean, I, I was a bit a bit harsh on the keeper for the for, for their goal, but thinking about it, look, he's an experienced keeper, and I think that game is a good introduction for him to what the national league is. So, you know, a guy with that amount of games behind him at that age, you should be able to go away now and say, right, this is what I need to 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 adapt to the national league. You know, sometimes I'm going to have to let my defenders head it away. Sometimes I'm going to have to try and go for it and know I might get pushed or nudged and I'm just going to have to work out with my three centre-halves who are all pretty, you know, they're all pretty talented. I would say experienced except for Clueworth, but, you know, that he can work, he can work with them now. Now he knows what he's up against. And I think, I think he will get stronger after that game. And I've got every doubt that he will, he'll bet in to be a pretty good keeper for us. Uh, Liam, what about the other new lad? Ford? Uh, I've got to be honest. I was quite so. I was quite close to where he was. Second half, for me, if you're going to be playing a right wing back, he just didn't try and go outside. I, I can't even think of one occasion where he tried to get past the defender and knock the ball outside. There was a few fans around me getting a bit frustrated with him. I didn't think he had a terrible game, but it was just that that fact of the, the system we play. I wanted to see him trying to get past their defenders a lot more. I think they did double up on him on one or two occasions so maybe it's the case he needs someone to to help him out and make those overlapping runs but neat enough nothing offensive you know in terms of his defending perfectly good but yeah that was just the one thing from the good reviews in pre-season I would have liked to have seen a bit more from him yeah and Tim can you remember a better debut cameo than Elliot Lee uh I kind of want to say yes there must have been somebody but I can't think who that would have been I got, 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 got Gary Bennett in my head for some bizarre reason. Um, I'm sure Benno was a really impressive debut. Um, but, I mean, it, it tells you about, you know, our National League era that we're, 
we're sort of waxing lyrical about whatever it was, half an hour performance as being one of the best debuts in recent years that kind of shows you that where we're at now in terms of talent and where we have been previously with the greatest respect to the uh, yeah. respect on earth to those that have been before. Uh, really good, exciting. He's not even up to full speed yet. I mean, the first goal is ridiculous, isn't it? I mean, perfect. It's just, yeah. yeah, I mean, to, to have the gumption to even try it, you know, he's coming onto it. He hits it perfectly. Pace, precision, first time. He knows what he's doing. And the second one, I mean, if you if you watch it back, he's looking for the ball all the time. Like as soon as it comes to Mullen, he's like he's he's basically gesturing, play it to me now because I've I've got I've got the mark of this of this lad that's on me. And then yeah, we've seen the rest, close control, power, knows where the net is, simple. It feels like he's he's played more than the, more than a few games for us. But yeah, really really good, exciting times for him. Um, but yeah, there's got to be somebody that, that must have had a. Equally as encouraging debut, but pretty impressive. Very impressive. Yeah, write in or tweet us if you if you can think of someone. I mean, all I'd say about Lee is when he came on, we looked to play football. I think Mullin has got someone there who we can knock it to do the play the one twos. You know, we can craft some stuff, and the amount of stuff we you know the amount of play we had in and around their box just improved massively. Yeah, I know we were going for it. I know we had to chase the game, but we looked on a good pitch. We looked a good a good outfit for the for, for that period of, of the game. Anyway, you know he was so good. I'm just thinking, um, if I was going to take him out to maybe like a local restaurant or eatery or maybe <laughs> bar in in the town, do you know anywhere, Liam? I could take him. You could take him to that um, new place, the Carnivore. I've heard really good things about the steak there. Uh, maybe a company of. I'm not really a wine expert. If we could get the right wine match, I think he. He'd have a lovely time there. So, yeah. Okay. So, Carnivore and a Blue Nun, yeah? Yeah, definitely, yeah. <laughs> okay. Fat Carnivore ball is also fat another ball. place we could take him. <laughs> the Fat Ball, then the Carnivore, back to back. Sublime yeah. one thing. A, a lovely a lovely double from the man who scored a lovely double. So, yeah. I mean, yeah, he's he's got a big behind. I don't want to make that behind any bigger. So, maybe we'll just do, we'll, we'll do them alternative nights. But anyway, just right. Elliot Lee's ass. You just said Elliot Lee's ass. He has got. I mean, when I spoke to my my Luton mate about him, he said short, big ass, good on the ball, and that was a <laughs> that was a pretty good, uh, pretty that's good summing up. That's what every man wants, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Um, someone who isn't short, and I I I didn't really look at his ass, but I, I don't think it was as, as big as Elliot Lee's, is one of our cult heroes, uh, a Flinidadian, um, Sir Dennis of Lawrence, who became a, a big favourite in both his time at Wrexham, and, his, and he still lives around the town, to be honest, so he's really taken us to heart. And we managed to grab an hour with him um, a couple of weeks ago, and here it is. So our next guest was signed by Brian Flynn for around 75 75- thousand pounds in 2001 towering center back he took a while to find his feet but the awards soon started coming his way he was voted player of the season in the 2003-2004 campaign he helped us win promotion back to league one the season before i think he bagged three faw premier cup medals and was part of the team that won the ldv vans trophy at the millennium stadium in 2005 he was the first rexham player to play at the world cup proudly representing Trinidad and Tobago at the 2006 spectacle in Germany. Now a respected coach who has worked under Roberto Martinez, 
He's made almost 200 appearances for Wrexham over five years. At six foot seven inches, he's the tallest player we've ever had. Had to mention that. Welcome to the podcast, Dennis Lawrence. How are you? I'm fine, thank you, Tim, and yourself? I'm good. Nice to have you on. Um, I'm hoping that intro was, was good enough to uh, to massage any ego, ego you have, which I'm pretty sure you don't have any. Everybody we've ever spoken to, all the managers have said he's a grounded guy, a lovely chap, very humble. So so if you do have an ego, sorry if I've just massaged it a little bit. Still never changed. Still humble and still honoured to be um, part of this podcast today. Thank you very much for having me. No worries. Can you believe it's... 21 years ago since you've signed for the club. It, is, um, it, it has been a, a, a long while and you look at things and you start realising that you are growing older in age and, and, and things do move along. Um, interestingly enough, we, we, we signed a, a new physio at Coventry recently and in conversation she just mentioned her birth year which was 1998. And it took stock to me because my daughter is 1997 and I was thinking we're employing people that is younger than my daughter. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's been a it's been a, a eye opener, but it's been a fantastic um, 21 years, I must say. Fantastic. Well, obviously, we'll come to, to your, your coaching career and stuff soon enough. In terms of just take us back to to the original move, because obviously you were you were a soldier, you were playing for. Defence Force. Am I right in thinking you you worked in a supermarket as well, Port of Spain? I can't remember what all that was, but give us a general flavour for all that before you move over to these these shores. Yeah, so um, obviously I'm from Intran and Tobago and I joined, my first club was a club by the name of Battery Ball Players, yeah. which they were playing in, a, in, in what used to be called the East Zone. So we had the East, North, Central, etc. So um, I started to play with batter ball players in East Zone. And from there, I then joined a semi-professional outfit at the time, which was in Caledonia AI. Um, in joining Caledonia AI, the sponsor of the team was a, a, a really, really lovely lady, um, a Chinese lady by the name of Miss Elizabeth Shi. And I was 18, going on 19 at the time. And I could remember playing one game and the game finished and obviously there was no change in rooms etc at that time and I was sat on the pitch and for some reason she just came over to me and she asked me what do you do and at the time I just left school I said to her I said well I don't do anything at the moment I just play for Caledonia and, and that's it and she just handed me a number a card and she said to me I wanted to be there tomorrow morning at 7 30 a.m so I knew then that she owned a company, etc. So I got all excited, thinking, right, I'm gonna get a job in this big company, blah, blah, blah. And I turned up, and when I turned up outside, it was a supermarket. And I stood there and I'm thinking, well, I'm not working in any supermarket. <laughs> so eventually I stood there for about 10 minutes. The supervisor came and he opened up the, the shutters of the, and he said, you're Dennis. I said, yes. He said, come in, come in. So I went in. He took me to the back and he changed in the area, et cetera. And he said, right, that's where you're going to get changed. You're cool because we'll come in a bit. And I'm getting changed. And I'm still thinking I'm not working in a supermarket for, for you know, that's just me. So she eventually comes in and she calls me up in the office and not even a conversation. She just has a great, 
you know, chat with me about have I settled in, blah, blah, blah. And even in this conversation, I'm going, I'm not working in a supermarket. So I worked the day and it was finished and I went home. And as I'm leaving, all I'm thinking is there's no way I'm coming back here tomorrow because I'm not working in a supermarket. And I got home and my best friend at the time, I told him the story that is a supermarket, blah, blah, blah. He said, okay, I'm going to ask you one thing. What are you doing at the moment? So I said, well, obviously I'm not doing anything. I've just left school. He said, well, okay, you're going back to work in the supermarket. And we had a bit of an argument. And long story short is I did go back and I worked there for four and a half years. And it probably was the best four and a half years that I had in my life because it then taught me as a young man, it taught me responsibility. It taught me about how to manage your finances. And she was an absolutely fantastic woman to me. She, she, she helped me along the way. She opened my first ever bank account. Um, really, really lovely lady. And I had some fantastic co-workers that you know, supported me all the way through. And it was probably the best thing that I ever did in my life by embarking on my first job in the supermarket. And then from there, I was playing for Caledonia at the time, which she obviously was the sponsor at the time. So she would allow me the time to go training, et cetera. So I would leave, go training, play games. And she would always be there at the games, et cetera. And from there, that's when I, I transferred from Caledonia and I made the transition to the Trinidad to be a defense force. Um, and, and one of the main reasons for that is obviously it was financially it was most it, it was better income, but then also it was a government um, job because the clubs at the time there, while they were semi-professional, a lot of the clubs didn't really financially meet the obligations in terms of you know players wouldn't know when they get the salary. So by joining Trinidad to be a good defense force, you were guaranteed that you were going to get your salary on the right time at the end of the month, and. So you're aware when you join the Trinidad Tobago Defence Force, you don't join as a footballer. You join to become a soldier. So it was, the football was just an extracurricular activity that you took part in. You were first, your first job was to become a soldier. So I was in the, in the army, went to my training, spent four months in training. In 1996, that's when I joined the army, um, four months in training. Then after I passed out, I was placed in the headquarters where I then became a I joined the pay office staff. So I managed to become a pay clerk, learn the pay trade and all these things. So it, it was really, really good times. I went on to play for the Army's team. Um, they are comp- um, achieving some major titles. I think in my first season, we won the Triple Crown, which was the league, the FA Cup, the League Cup. Went on to win a few more titles before making a transition into coming over into the UK where my first trial obviously was at Newcastle, which was really, really good. Um, went back to Trinidad. From Trinidad, while I was in Trinidad, I was asked to come back to Newcastle by Bobby Robson at the time. He wanted me to come back for a further um, 10 days. I was there for eight. Um, he sent me back home because I had a cup final. And then he said, I want you to come back for another 10 days. While I was in Trinidad, um, my agent rang me at the time, Mike Berry, um, and he said to me that Bolton wants you to come and trial. Um, so you can either go to Bolton or you can go back to Newcastle. And I just felt at the time that, look, I've been to Newcastle. There was no point in going back, whether or not it was right or wrong. Who knows? I made the decision to go to Bolton. Um, there at Bolton, I think I was there for five or six days. And I think the last thing I did at Bolton is we had a, 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 a reserve team game. So we played Wigan. 
So Bolton v Wigan and I played in the game and, 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 and the funny story about that game was, so we were playing the game and there was this, this kid up front, well not kid, he was a man, strong physical player up front, their striker. Um, and he went to me on the pitch, he said, look, give me a bit of a ease up, I'm on trial. And I went to him, well, unfortunately I'm on trial as well. So, you know, I mean, our, our heads clash, and then I found out it was actually Jimmy Floyd Hasselbank's brother at the time. So we played the game, played Wigan. I think we won the game 1-0, kept, kept a clean sheet. And um, we left that day, Mike and I. So we go into the car, and as we go into the car, we were just about to pull off, and Phil Brown came running out to the car, and he said to my agent at the time, the boss wants to see you, which was Sam Allardyce at the time. And my agent went and he said, you want to come in? I said, no, you go and I'm, I'm okay. I sit in the car. So he went and he came back out after about 25, 30 minutes. And he said, right, I got good news. You got two options. He said, one, Bolton's just offered you a contract. Um, I think it was a two-year deal. Um, the manager said, you're a bit raw, but he sees material and he'll play you for a bit and get you up to scratch, blah, blah, blah. And then he said, the second one is that Wrexham was there watching the game. Um, Brian Flynn was there. Now, before Brian Flynn saw that game, Carlos and Hector had already come to Wrexham. And one of the videos that they watched of Carlos playing, Carlos and I played for the defense force. I was actually in the in the, in the game as well. And Kev Reeves, in watching the video, he went to my agent at the time, who's the big fellow up there. I quite like him. And Mike said, oh, that's my player as well. So it didn't actually start from that Wigan game. It was previous. So that was the first time that Brian Flynn saw me. And so we sat in the car and basically my agent just said, look, it's your choice, wherever you want to go. And I just made the decision that, look, I think I want to go and see Wrexham. So I said, right, we're going to go. We're going to Wrexham. And I came up. I was here for, I think I was here for three days. And one of the, one of the days, Wrexham played Luton. And this, this would have probably been in, you would know better than me, Tim, in 2000 or something like that. And I remember watching a game. I was sat at the bench and Wrexham were losing 3 0. And I oh, think right. <laughs> I think we came back and won the game 4 3. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It was an absolute eye opener for me because where I've come from in Trinidad, if you're leading 3 0, that game's over. Yeah. The game's 100% over. And it was. You know, the fighting spirit that the, 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 the players showed. I remember Andy Morrell playing in the game, Brian Carey, and the fighting spirit to be able to come back and the celebrations at the end of the game. And that just confirmed that, look, I'm going to stay at Wrexham. And, and that's when I made the decision that I was going to sign for Wrexham. Was it made easier with, with Carlos and Hector already being there? I imagine surely that must have had some sort of influence because when when you're coming to a completely new country completely new, different culture and you've got friends countrymen that are already at a club i imagine that would have had some sort of sway is, is that fair to say yeah it is um obviously it's help when you go faces around that you know but i think also um carlos and, and, and hector at the time they were at different stages in their life compared to me you know because i am um, I had a, a young daughter. Well, I'm obviously, I wasn't married yet, but my, my girlfriend at the time. So I was more family where they were young guys, you know, now coming through. 
but the fact that I knew them and the fact that the three days I spent in Wrexham, the people of the football club made me try to feel as welcome and as comfortable as possible. You know, Joey, I can remember BP, Weaves, Coops, all these guys was there, Brian Flynn, Kevin Reeves, some really, really lovely players, um, people. And the players also tried to make me feel as welcome as possible. So I think the fact that Carlos and Hector was there, but then also the ambience around the football club, um, the chairman at the time who I didn't meet, but um, I spoke to after a sign. What a lovely man. Um, Price Griffiths, what, a, what an absolute gem. Um, and I can't speak more highly of him. Um, and, I, and, I, and, I can, and in talking about him, I have to say, when, when I became the manager at Trinidad and we played the Wales game, mm. he made the effort to come to the hotel we were seeing in, Chelsea, in, in Chester just to see me. And it just tells you everything about the gentleman. And it, it, it was a really, really family-oriented, fun club to be at the time. Um, and, and I think all those were, were, were part of my decision why I wanted to, to, to stay at Wrexham. Before I bring one of the other guys in, I just want, I'm just curious to see, in terms of Bobby Robson and Sam Allardyce, did you did you ever hear what their reactions to you were about not going back to Newcastle and not signing for Bolton? Or did Mike, um, your agent, deal with that? Any potential fallout was the case? Good luck to the guy, not a problem. Because, you know, Bobby was quite a gentle giant. Sam's Sam, isn't he? He's quite forthright. Yeah, it, it was um, interesting the way that the board trials were because at Newcastle, Bobby Robson was an absolute wonderful guy. And he was very, very honest with me. Um, and, and I hope that saying this doesn't come back to bite me at one time. But I remember his, his, um, his assistant at the time was Mick Wardsworth. Right. Remember, before he, before he sent me back to Trinidad, he actually pulled me in the office and he said to me, my assistant doesn't think I should take you. He right. said, but there's something about you that I quite like. That's why I want you to come back for the 10 days. So he was very open and honest with me. Um, so I, I really, really liked and respected the fact that he was so honest that, you know, this decision is his really. Yeah. Um, he's going against his assistant. Whereas when I was at Bolton, it was an interesting way because for the days I spent there, I spent a lot more time training with the under-23s and the reserved group. And I probably didn't interact with Sam Allardyce more. And actually, the first time I actually saw him was one day we were, we were training and I wanted the under-23s group, the reserve group, whatever you want to call it, to come over to do set pieces. And we went over. And I think this is what actually swayed his mind. So we were doing corners four, and I remember the ball coming over, and I got, which wasn't a strength in my game, heading the ball, but for whatever reason, I got a really good contact from a header, and it was above, I could remember the South African centre-back, Fish, Fish was his name, and I think that is what stuck in his mind. So then we went to the reserve game, and he obviously then probably focused a bit more on me, but I didn't actually interact with Sam Allardyce, but I think all in all, they were both, comfortable with my decision but as you said I, I I left Mike to deal with that and I never really looked back yeah in terms of when you've when you've arrived at Wrexham now you've integrated in to the team just just take us through those you know the first maybe the first few months of that season and, and trying to acclimatize different different way of, of of playing the game because it's quite it's quite an attritional game you know it's it's very physical um less time on the ball i guess um 
And I think you said by your own admission that when you first arrived, there, there was an initial struggle to kind of to sort of acclimatise to, to 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 the manner of play and so on and so forth. But once you got out of that little rocky patch, the rest is history. Really, you you were consistent there on there on in. Yeah, um, I think one of the things for me is I came over at a later age. I think I was 26 at the time when I came over. So going into coaching number 26, you're more or less stuck in your ways. And I was used to playing at a slow tempo in Trinidad, as I said, because it's a hot country. The ball, you know what I mean, played on the floor a lot and things like that. And coming over, I had to basically adapt and learn the game again. And it took a while because you, you get over here and your first probably three weeks, it's all adrenaline and you're yeah. up to speed and you're there and it was good preseason and everything's going well. And then the actual season comes and it hits you and it's a totally different experience. And, you know, I had to make mistakes in order to be able to learn. Yeah. And I think the biggest one for me, I think, we all remember the Tramia game, but I can remember what actually was the change for me. And I always blame Wayne Phillips for this. So <laughs> obviously coming from Trinidad, the internet wasn't a big part of my life then. So I came over and I got the internet. And Wayne Phillips went to me and he said, um, do you do you go on Red Passion and see what they're saying about you? And I'm like, what, what are you talking about? He said, Red Passion, that's where the fans go and they give the comments, blah, 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 etc." So I go home and I'm trying to dial up and do the rings and you go on and log into Red Passion. And at that point, it was all good. I'm a new sign-in. I think I've only played about two games, which was quite okay at the time, as I said, a general. And it was like Big Den, the hero, blah, 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 all these things. And then up comes Tramia away when it just all collapses in one go. And the comments became very different to what they were in the beginning. And if you're not mentally strong, it can affect you. And I think during that period from the tram year until Dennis Smith came in and, uh, you know, a, a bit of it, it was a learning process for me. Mm. And it was a process that I had to, to understand and educate myself again. And I had to say that having Brian Carey at the club at the time, without him actually knowing this and, and, and Darren Ferguson, but Brian more than anything else because he played in the same position as me. I used to look at Brian and as a footballer, you know, Brian wouldn't mind me saying this. I used to think in my mind, I think I'm better than him, but he's a club captain. He's playing, etc. And I couldn't understand it at first. So I thought, right, I'm going to take stock and I'm going to look at Brian and understand why is the club captain? And then that's when I started to understand and learn leadership because that's what Brian was. He was a leader. He knew how to manage the people around him to be able to get the best out of himself. And that's what I didn't have because I was still young, immature. Well, not young, but I was immature in the way that I played the game, even though I had international experience, which was only for a short period because I only played for Trinidad and Tobago, I only joined the team in 2001, 2000, 2001. So I didn't have a lot of games on my belt, really. So I was still actually learning my trade. And it took a while, then Dennis came in. 
and obviously Dennis and, and, and Kev, you know, they, they tried to help in the game about doing extras on the training pitch and things like that, which I, I wouldn't say I did much of extras because I wasn't built like that. But um, I think just sitting back and analysing and learning the game away from the pitch, being involved with the, with the, with the reserve team, with Joey, and understanding the game, I think that was probably a good thing for me at that time. And that probably is what helped me to be able to go back to come forward again. Dennis, I just want to sort of go back to that sort of period. And I think it was it was after the Tranmere game. I think it was a midweek game. I was working for the local paper at the time. I'll be honest, mate, you were struggling. Um, I think we could we could see that. I um, I interviewed you after the match. I think it was in the car park. You were just back to go home. Emotions are running high for all, you know, for everyone, the fans, for me, for you. We did an interview and I was, I'll be honest, I was really impressed with what you said to me then. And it always stuck with me because you said, I know I'm not good enough at the moment, but I will get to be good enough. And after that interview, I always had, you know, I was always rooting for you because I thought that's the sort of level of person I want to see to come into our club. But, but what I want to know is, was there any doubt in your mind that you could adapt and you could be a success? Did you ever for sort of think, or oh, maybe, maybe the English league's not for me? No, I never, I never had that thought about the English league wasn't for me. I think the only doubts I had in mind was why was my performance level not where it's meant to be? And that's why I talk about um, taking stock of myself and understanding that, hang on, I need to re-educate myself because this is a different level of the game that I'm getting involved in. So taking a step back, but, you know, the fact that you mentioned about me speaking the way that I spoke, that's because I'm always honest in my own opinion of my performance, which is something that I would probably say is going out of the game a lot now because okay. the finger is always pointed at the manager's booth. Whereas, why as I get it, and I do understand it a bit, but I also believe that players should hold account for their own performances and they should take a bit more responsibility because ultimately um, the players, and at the time me, I was the one on the football pitch. I was the one making this. The manager just gave me the trust at the time to go out and deliver and I didn't deliver. So I always felt at the time that as a player, the onus is on me to take responsibility for my performance. Um, so that, that was just me being honest and I truly, truly believed in myself that I would get there. It was just a matter of, as I said, learning to understand the British game, the British mentality, the, the, the way that the fans looked at the game, the way that the fans responded and, and, and understanding this. And as I said, going back to the red passion, that in itself was probably one of the biggest learnings that didn't need to be there because... Yeah. Fans will always be fans because they're brilliant at what they do. They support the club. They give their all. They have their opinions, and the opinions isn't necessarily going to be ones that you're going to enjoy. So the best way to be is to be focused and believe in what you're doing, believe in the people around you, and allow the fans to be themselves without being on that side of the fence. Yeah. And what, what kind of... And I don't want to jump too far forward, but... We were going home for an international and I was sat in the plane next to Dwight. And at that time, the papers was coming on the eyes and I took two papers and I said to Dwight, do you want a paper? And he went to me, no, I don't read the, the, the paper. 
and I didn't understand till the time. I, just, I actually sat there and thought, yo, you're weird. You know what I mean? Why, why would you not want to read the paper? And it only then took me a couple of years to understood and understand what he was, what the angle he was really coming from is that he didn't need, you don't need that in your life. You just need to be focused. And that's, that's what it became in the end. And I, I was confident I was getting there. Um, I had a, a, a three-year contract at the time. So I wasn't worried about that side about it. I was just trying to manage myself to make sure that, you know, I didn't let the manager down. I didn't let the club down. I didn't let the fans down. So I just had to get myself up to scratch. I mean, we talked to Kevin Reeves a couple of weeks ago. He actually told exactly the same story um, as you about how he saw you in, in the back of the video when he said to he said to Mike Berry, who's that lad at the back, the tall lad? And Mike goes, mm-hmm. he's the leader. He's the leader of the group. And um, Kev said, right, we want him. But just when you, when you sort of came across, it was sort of at a strange time in Wrexham's history because obviously Brian Flynn and Kev and Joey had been there for so long and when you started playing it was near or less the end of that era um is uh, is there a sort of could you put your finger on what really went wrong for what you could see coming into the into the dressing room at that point you know obviously they'd been they'd been a team for 12 years but then then it just seemed to to, to go wrong quite quickly yeah, and, and that's that's the learning part that I'm talking about because I was new yeah. and I, I was oblivious to everything that was outside of the perimeters of the football pitch. I just took it for granted that they were going to be there throughout my time at that football club. And it's along the way, when I started to understand about the pressures from the outside and things like that, and I probably didn't have enough time to gather the information of what was because... I think what was taking place at the time was something before I arrived and it was already on the on the on the on the build. So I probably came and I just caught the tail end of it. And you know, I mean, for me personally, it was a bit of a a downer because it happened that quickly in my I mean I came over, signed, I came over in March, which was the end of that season, and then the season ended and I came back for preseason. And it wasn't long after when it all happened. So I probably didn't even get time to settle myself, you know, and you can probably go back and look and think, well, you know, the, the, these are things that got me to the, to the level that I got to because these things happened. But I, I, I totally did not, wasn't totally aware of everything that was taking place. I was just focused on the football and trying to settle in and make myself better. And, and it just happened that quickly. So, sort of fast forward to, to after Brian, Dennis Smith comes in, and in fair play, he, he steadied that ship, um, an old-fashioned centre half. Um, he also changed the system a little bit, didn't didn't he? How did you felt sort of find uh, playing in a back three, and and was Dennis giving you sort of tips sort of directly? Yeah, Dennis obviously played the game. Um, I think he was a different type of centre back to Dennis Lawrence. Um, I've never seen him play, but the reports are gone. He would run through a brick wall and things like that. And to be fair, that's what he he tried to instill in me. But because I was different, it took a while for the combination to actually work. Because if you remember when Dennis first came in, myself and Carlos, we weren't in the team. So we weren't in the team initially because he had his vision, he knew what he wanted to do, and he probably at the time didn't really see us as part of that process. And I think 
once he moved into the back three, that's when it actually suited me because I wanted to play on the ball. I wanted to be on the ball and I was comfortable receiving and passing the ball and having a back three, it allowed you to do that. And it was funny because at the time, there was no left-footed centre-backs. We were all right-footed, Brian Carey, Steve Roberts, Marcel, Pedrick. And playing the left of a back three, I was very comfortable doing it because I could handle the ball. So playing in that left side of the back three, it actually suited me. And, you know, it, it was just about the way that I defended trying to defend in a different way to what I was used to defending, which was being physical, being more aggressive and things like that, which I improved, but that's not the side of my game that actually got me to become better. It was just more my thought process in how I was going to defend because physically at the time, look, we all know how the league was back then. It was big, strong striker, small one, quick, who can run in behind, physical. And I just became smarter at the way I was going to do things, try and be first, try and, and, and be nimble around my feet, around the strikers and things like that. And Dennis Smith, to be fair to him, he then understood that I wasn't going to become his type of centre-back, the way he was a centre-back. You know, that run through the brick wall, had everything that come. I was always going to be, And he made adjustments, which is good on a manager. So in the end, we worked together. We had we had a few run-ins, obviously, um, but we, we said it as uh, as honest as we could to each other in a very very respectful way. And I remember seeing him when I was working at um, I think it was Everton, and he was at the Aston Villa game because I think he was doing referee's assessor. And you know we had a great conversation, and and he's, he was a really really good guy at the time. So I, I enjoyed being a part of that whole process with him. Obviously, that was the season. We um, we made an immediate return promotion wise after the disaster of relegation. You mentioned that Tramway game. I think that was five nil, wasn't it? It was a pretty uh, pretty forgetful day that one. Um, that season, of, on the whole, the the, the one when we got promoted back at the first opportunity. If you, if you look through that that season, it's very it's a little bit stop start. And we we've alluded to this a couple of times, especially this year because. We were hoping Wrexham were going to do something similar in terms of going on a really productive winning run, which is what happened that season. I think we won eight in a row, including the, the sort of promotion party at, at Barry when we won 3-0, balloons going off everywhere. What, what were your memories of that season? Because you you were now in a team that, that Dennis had, had kind of unified, really, and, and obviously had, had, had instilled a mentality that, you know, Wrexham's promotions are few and far between really but that's definitely up there as as one of my favourites because going through that team um, the squad not just the first 11 it was just packed full of characters but characters who could play football you know it wasn't just a maverick character who had a bit of a story to tell just really good players Morel Trundle yourself Dibs was in there I mean just, just give us a flavour of, of what it was like playing in that team because it had something special about it. But I don't think unless you're you're part of that team, it's kind of hard to explain what it was like. Yeah, um, that team was a team that was bred in confidence. Um, it was a team that 
was very tight knit as a group. And we're talking about from one to 22, not one to 11. Um, and winning is always a key factor in these things. And the biggest thing I can remember about that season for me was even if we went a goal behind, we never felt that we were going to lose the game mm. because we just had that belief. And I think one of the key components to that, and if you look at the history of footballer, if you have centre forwards that are scoring goals the way that Trans did and the Morel did, I think Craig Falconbridge chipped in if he was still there at that time and things like that, you always got a chance because they were phenomenal up front as a, as a partnership. Um, Jim Whitley in, in, in midfield with Darren Ferguson, um, Paul Edwards on one side, Carlos on the other side, these type of players, Stephen Thomas. You know, we, we had players that can affect the game and we just felt unbeatable. Um, and it was an enjoyable season. And the reason why it was an enjoyable season it's because when you think about the season before, what we had to go through that season, to come to a season like this where there was a lot more stability, um, we were able to enjoy it. We were, be able to, we were able to enjoy it on and off the football pitch. And it just all clicked for us that season. You know, I mean, we, we, we got the system of play properly. We knew it off the back of our hands. Everybody knew the rules and responsibility in the team formation, what we, what we expected of each other, and we demanded from each other. Um, and I think, you know, you, you mentioned Dibs there. You know, the, the most weirdest thing for me, I can't remember which home game it was, but Dibs and I on the field having a scrap with each other. These things were, you know what I mean? These things were unforgettable. Um, and it was a really tight group, but I think the biggest thing that brought that group the, 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 the close knit we had was the fact that we were winning games and we knew that we were onto something special. And it was just a shame that there wasn't three games left in that season because I'm 100% convinced we would have won the league and not just got promoted because we were on such a momentum at the time. Can you remember what the fight was about? I can't, I can't, I can't figure out anybody be stupid yeah, enough to I, I, I can remember exactly what it was. It was typical goalkeeper, cross comes and the keeper shouts, Head it away, and I'm like, which one is it? You're either gonna, you know, what I mean. So I walked over to him and I said, Make your mind up, you either because he showed keepers away. So I'm going, Make your mind up, and he shouts at me and shoves me in the chest, and I, and I shove him back. This is in front of the cop. And it, I mean, look, it, it was it was something that you know was so unlike me, so unlike him. I saw him the other day when he was a Cardiff, and we were laughing about it actually. So no, it, it was good, but we, you know, it, it, we had a, a, a really close group that wanted to do something special for the club because we had the disappointment of the season before. We, we kind of knew why it happened, but we couldn't make that the, the excuse for it happening. So we just wanted to put it right. And it was, it was a great, great group and we, we enjoyed our season. Was that always the thought process that season from, from, from even during the early start of that season? Was it a case of of wanting to put right what went wrong with the season before, or was was that very much the the sort of the directive from Dennis and, and the management team to say, look, we've got a squad capable of doing this. You just need to believe in yourselves and go out and do that. Yeah, I think it was obviously led by the manager, um, and I think we just had a group of players that were angry. We, we we were angry because we didn't feel that 
you know, with the quality we had in that change room, we, we, we should have been where we were. So we were angry, we wanted to to put it right. And, you know, I mean, we, we, we just, we wanted to to put the club back where it, it, it should have been. And we just gave it our all. And, and, you know, as I said, you know, the change in systems and it suited a lot of players because obviously, you know, Fugi was one always wanted to get on the ball and make us play. A lot of things went through him. Um, you know, and as I said, with the front two we had, it, it, it was scary. And it just all clicked. And we, we just had that determination that we wanted to put things right. And and, and it, it managed to, to to all come together for us. Great stuff. I think um, before we delve into um, the next couple of seasons, I think Andy has got some uh, some quick-fire questions he likes to trot out. And <laughs> to put you on the spot a little bit, so I'll let him hit, hit you with those. From your time at Wrexham, Dennis, first thing that comes into your, comes into your mind, who was the most skillful? Yeah, Trundle. Yeah, well, that's an easy one, really, isn't it? Who was the worst dressed? You can say Hector on this. Whoa, worst dress. Ooh, I, I, I probably would still stick with. Yeah, Hector probably would be there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Give yeah. us an example. What did he wear? Oh no, it's just his colours was a bit Caribbean. <laughs> Let's just put it that way. <laughs> a bit bright. I, I remember he came, to a game, he came to a game once in a white suit. <laughs> we need to get into Hector more, but we'll probably do that later. Right. Next question is who's the most underrated? Um underrated. I think probably for the work that Paul Edwards did. I think he probably didn't get the same type of accolades that he probably should have got. Him and probably Jim Whitley, those two in particular. So mm. I'd probably go for those two. Well, I suppose you were quite close to Paul, weren't you? If you were playing on the left-hand side, you could see the work he was he was doing off the ball. Yeah. Right. The next one is, who is the biggest moaner? <laughs> well, Ferguson without a shadow of a doubt. <laughs> I mean, someone... In a, in a good way, he was just an absolute serial winner. But oh my god, he could moan. Yeah, if you ask someone from a certain time period that question, it's always the same answer. Oh yeah. And the, finally, who would you not like to fight? Oh, Joey. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he, he's he's a hard one. Yeah, you didn't you wouldn't want to fight Joey, so you just leave it as that. <laughs> A gentle right. giant, but a hard man, a very tough man, very tough guy. So yeah, I mean, going going onwards now. Obviously, promotion, great, everybody's happy. Then there's a little bit of a shake up there. Obviously, I think I think at this point, I think Truns goes to Swansea, if I remember rightly. Um, we've had him on. I think he I remember off the top of my head that I don't think. I'm right in thinking, Andy, that the club just didn't push the boat out enough to sort of keep him. I can't remember what, what the initial quote was, but um, I think they what they offered him, he didn't think was was good enough. And I think yeah. the key thing for Trundle is he wanted to extend his contract through the season, so he was desperate to get tied down during that promotion campaign. But the club were just saying, "Well, leave it, leave it, leave it." And then after the fact that they had a great season and they were still leaving it, I think that got to him a little bit. Yeah, I mean, with him going and the few other people 
you know the, the the team has been shaken up a little bit. What was the what was the hopes and expectations following that promotion season? Was it a case of can we push on and do it again, or was it very much a case of let's see if we can just solidify ourselves in this division and then push on, depending on what money was available and what what players Dennis and, and the management team could bring in. Yeah, I think first was just about going going back in and establishing ourselves back in in the division where we we felt that we should have been. So it, you know, I mean, there was no 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 real target in terms of right. We want to go and try and achieve promotion. It was just about re-establishing ourselves in the division. Um, obviously, losing trends was a big thing. Um, I think that was the season that Chris Llewellyn came in. Mm. Um, so you know, I mean, it, it, it was a new bunch, and you know, it was it was all about re-establishing ourselves back in the division. Yeah, and then. I mean, we'll get to the LDV Vans final in a minute, but I'm mean, obviously the stuff that kind of swirled around that season with the administration and all the financial stuff. A lot of, I think, in the blink of an eye, we'd gone from riding upon the crest of a wave, success, trying to establish ourselves in a division, to then having all that essentially having the rug pulled from beneath your feet and it's back to square one and it's looking bleak, 10 points deducted. I mean, what, what, what was, what was going through your mind at, at that point? Because all of a sudden, you know, you're now at, at essentially at an employer where there was so much, there was such a massive cloud of uncertainty hanging over it. You know, what, what was that like for, for you as a person, as well as a footballer? Um, for me as a person, it, and, and strange enough, because of where I've come from, which was in Trinidad and Tobago, a lot of those issues was natural to me. Right. So I just found it difficult for everything that we were trying to do as a group and everything that we were fighting for. And I think the biggest the, the, the biggest one for me was looking at players who had mortgages to pay, families to support and things like that. And there was times we were reporting to the club to receive the salaries in envelopes and it would be half now and half at another time. And it was tough. It was tough. It was it was tough for a lot of players. Um, it, it was tough for myself trying to understand what was really happening, what's next, what's going to come. And it took a lot of the focus away from what we should have actually been focused on, which was trying to compete, trying to do well, trying to win football matches. And it was just a distraction all around. And I think there was at one point, you know, we had conversations with the the, the owner at the time who came in and looked at all the players in the face and, was seeing one thing, but then something else was happening, and then there was a distrust, and and it, it started to become fractured, and it was it was a really really difficult time, and you know I mean so many people at the clubs uh, you you don't know, but you just look at them and you can see in their faces that they were concerned, and once you see that concern from the people that are running the football club, then that obviously transgends onto the football pitch, so it was a really difficult period, and it made football a lot lot tougher. And it was it was absolutely the total opposite to what we had the season before. Yeah. Did, am I right in thinking that I may have read somewhere that that you took a pay cut 
around that situation. I don't know if it was generally all the players, whether it was just yourself. Um, was that the case? Was it a case of, right, if I have to take a pay cut, I will, if it means staying here? Because I imagine you had other offers to move elsewhere at the time. Well, it, it was just a matter of, right, how can we as players help? Right. You know what I mean? And you do what you can, you know, as, as minimal as, minimal as it might be, but you try to help it. You know what I mean? I, I have, and I still have today, I have an emotional attachment for the football club. I have an emotional attachment for the, for the, for the tongue, for the place I work. So you try and do what you can if you think it's going to assist the situation. And it, it was just one of them that, you know, personally, I just thought it was the right thing to do at the time. Yeah. Um, in saying that it was under the, you know, the conditions that, right, once things are back in place, you would go back to where you were. And it wasn't a matter of, you know, I mean, getting back a, a, a refund. It was just about going back when things are in place. So you, you try to help as players, um, which, you know, I mean, it, 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 but it was tough. It, it was tough and, and, and you felt for everybody associated at the club at the time. Yeah, I mean, I think everybody felt that it wasn't just the, the, the players and the fans. I think it affected Affected the town, you know. It's like the, it's like the polar opposite to what's going on now, you know, with the, with the boost and and the status surrounding the club. It was very much a case of it was like almost like it started a chain of events. It was one of many where we thought, right, who's going to come in and try and threaten the existence of this club now? And that happened several times. So to be a player that experienced that the first time around, um, and like you said, that shows that that the bond between the players was there very much for, for for the people and the town, not just the football club, if you're willing to to help ease that crisis in a small way, you know, no matter what. So obviously that, that had a massive effect, but in and around that entire crazy season of relegation, administration, et cetera, et cetera, was one of the best days any of us have ever had as a fan. Um, 2005 Millennium Stadium, Southend United. I mean, I can still see it as clear as yesterday. It was one of the best, best times to to win a, a, a major trophy, if you like, other than the Welsh Cups of the past and stuff. To win a major trophy like that in, you know, the, the then sort of home of, of Welsh football, it was used to rugby and the football then, was unbelievable. I mean, what were your your initial thoughts and recollection of that day? Because such a good turnout of fans, and obviously in 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 Wan we had a goal poacher, and in Fergie we had somebody who can't celebrate a goal very well with his very very bad forward role. So just take us through through that because it's it's still still talked about to this day, quite rightly, and and I'm assuming I mean we do this thing on on here where we call it like a fearless moment, which is you know, the, the, the sort of moment during your time playing for Wrexham that give you the most sense of pride. I'm assuming it's this. If it's not going to be this, tell us and we'll do something else. But, I mean, just t- just take us through that day. Yeah, I think that was um, an, an incredible experience um, because you go into the LDV Cup and it's, it's strange. You just, you go into the first game and you're thinking, right, we've got LDV top game and you play the first one and then you start growing and then it starts to get closer to where hang on where 
two games away from a final here. And you, you, not saying that you didn't take it serious before, but you now start going, we're, we're almost there. And we got to the final. And I think we went up, if I'm not wrong in saying this, did we go up two days before? But I can remember we, we got this massive coach. I think it was the Liverpool coach at the time. And you know what I mean? And we, 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 we it was such an occasion to build up towards the final because the tongue was excited, players excited, the clubs excited, and it was a different feeling from the administration part of it. And it was great to have something to take the, the distraction off at that bad moment. And we got to the final, by getting to the final, we, we got up there and we, we remember us going to the stadium the day before, you know, we saw the stadium, see what it's going to be like. And then you get there on the day, and it was, you know, the turnout of the fans, the Wrexham fans, the people in the stand. You know, I mean, it, it, it was just the entire atmosphere and 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 the euphoria be- behind it. And then the actual game itself, you're playing Southend at the time, who were flying high. I remember they had Eastman up front, the goal scorer, and, and and things like that. And we were underdogs, I think, for the final because they had won it. Was it two seasons before, straight or something like that? Yeah, but we were we were the underdogs in the final. Um, but then as you said, we had goal poacher and one who stole my goal that I believe would have gone over the line, but that's fine. <laughs> yeah, and 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 we had we had some some incredible performances because um for young Craig Morgan, who I can remember who, who coming on, I think Steve Roberts got injured very early. And for Craig Morgan to come on and, and, and put any type of performance he did. Um, Mark Jones, I think, played in the final to have those type from young players to be able to be to to have those type of performances in in a major final like that. You know, Ferguson led the team, Brian Carey. It, it was a it was a really really exciting day, and it was probably, as you said, it was probably the most prestigious moment for me playing for the football club, even though we had won that promotion that season. But to be able to Unite a tongue in a different part of Wales, in a in, in in our national stadium at the time it was, um, and to see the fans celebrate an occasion the way they did, I think that was that was memorable and and rightfully it should probably never be forgotten by 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 those who were there who weren't there um, because it was a massive achievement and it was a it was something that probably came at the right time for this tongue. Um, well, nowhere city, if I'm not wrong, so <laughs> which is great. Um, so you know, it was it was great, and un, un, unfortunately, fortunately for me, I will always be remembered for the for the pink wig, um, because that's that's what I had on my head at the at the end of the game. But it it, it was it was emotional. Um, it was emotional. It was enjoyable, and it was fantastic for everybody involved. Talk us through those celebrations, Dennis, because I <clears throat> I remember you in the the sight of you in the wig was my sort of abiding memory of the uh, after the match finished. Um, I think didn't Sir Alex Ferguson also play the pay the players a visit after the game as well? Um, well, I didn't so I didn't see him so, I must <laughs> but I uh, maybe maybe he did, but it was so um scattered at the time that you know we were we were just all in different angles, and so he probably didn't. Um, I probably just didn't see him, and he probably would have because he, he, you know, obviously he supported Darren 
and yeah. he supported the football club. So he probably did. He would have probably been in a wrong somewhere. I, I just didn't see him. But it was um, it, it, it was fantastic. It was fantastic for for everybody involved, and the celebrations were well. Yeah. What did the What did the players actually do after the match? Did you all go back to Wrexham? Was there an event organised, or what did you do? Yeah. No, we had a, an event in the um in the hotel we stayed in. Um. So I remember the club put on something. So we had an event. I think all the f- um our families were there. Fans, um, the club, everybody represented the players, and we had an event in the hotel. So we stayed over the night, and we didn't go back until the next morning. So it, it was a it was a very enjoyable night. Let's just put it that way. <laughs> I can imagine the journey back was uh, perhaps a bit more precarious through the uh, through the hills and stuff. <laughs> yeah, no, it, it was a good journey because we were coming back with the cup. So it was an incredible journey. Um, and as I said, it, it's one that we would all remember in our time and we, we hope that the club can someday you know what i mean come back and achieve these things and even better it because you know what i mean why is why is it's it's great for us who were involved but we don't want to see the club stand still we still want to see the club going forward so Dennis, so take us to, to, to the end of your spell at Wrexham. i mean we sort of mentioned there's a lot of inc- uncertainty around the club i know i think carlos left at the end of that season um, you went to Swansea, didn't you? Was that uh, was Brian Flynn still there? Is he the person who, who took you back down there? No, it was Kenny Jacket at the time. Okay. Um, Kenny Jacket, but also Kev Reeves had a part to play in it because I think he was the the chief scout at Swansea at the time. Um, but but the but the whole thing was um, so obviously we we had the World Cup, which was in two thousand and six, and I was coming into the last year of my contract and similar to the Tron story um, I would have preferred for the contract offer to come before I got to the end because I didn't want to get to the end of my contract and I've I've seen it you know being at Wrexham you've seen how it affects players because I've seen where we've got to the last month of the season and players who are out of the contract they are rightfully concerned. Where's the next move? What's going to happen? Are they going to be offered? So I, did, I would prefer not to get to that point. And then the, 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 the after the World Cup, the Swansea interest came in and I was actually hoping and praying that the club would come forward before it happened and, and offer a new contract for me to be able to extend and stay at Wrexham because I didn't, I didn't want to leave. I was happy there. Um, so I was actually hoping it didn't, it didn't come until... It got to the point where I had the meeting with Dennis and I said, look, I'm going to have to go because there's an, uh, an offer on the table, which was in the summer. And it's only after that, then the offer coming from Wrexham, they, they, they wanted to extend. But by that time, my mind was clear. I'd made my mind up. And so it was a bit of that. I didn't actually want to leave, but I had to secure myself in the end. And I think that that was part of the transition. Dennis, just a bit on the, on the World Cup. Obviously, you scored the header that got Trinidad and Tobago at their first ever World Cup appearance. Um, I vividly remember, because you, you're the first player, first Wrexham player to play on that stage in the World Cup. And only. Yeah. <laughs> and I just remember vividly uh, being, I think I was at the Reading Festival, and I just remember thinking, right, because obviously the England game was on, and it was England versus Trinidad and Tobago. I was like, I hope Dennis plays, I hope Dennis plays. And the team's announced, you're on the team sheet. And I just remember like 
there's like a pocket of these Wrexham fans amongst the you know 90,000 people at Reading Festival all over reading for Trinidad and I still love this picture of you strangling Michael Owen technically strangling him um what what was I mean as a player representing a, a small nation on on that stage it must have been an incredible experience it was um I think it was unspeakable really because the World Cup and I say this to the players that I work now with, if you ever have the opportunity to represent a country and take part in a World Cup, do not turn it down because it's probably the pinnacle of your football career. Um, you know, the Premier League is what it is, other leagues, Italian league, but the World Cup is special. And I think for me, it was the way that it gave my country a voice because prior to that, and, and it was funny, if you mentioned to people Trinidad and Tobago, you get comments like, what part of Jamaica is that from? And, mm. you know, it's laid back Larry and all these things, which was not really a true reflection on our, our sporting achievements. And being able to qualify for the World Cup. And at that time, we were the smallest nation ever to do it until Iceland took it over from us. Mm. But um, to be able to, to, to go out and represent and I think what was also great for me was the way that the Wrexham fans came on board. So it was an achievement and an accomplishment for Wrexham as a, as a, as a tongue at the time. And I always say this to people because you've got to remember whenever my name came up on the team sheet, it always had in brackets Wrexham yeah. AFC. So it gave Wrexham a voice. And obviously I was close with certain fans, you know what I mean, um, Pete Jones and, and, and people like that. And I arranged as many tickets as I, ca- I could get for them to come over to the games. So I remember them coming in their minibuses and driving over to the games and they had a wonderful, wonderful time. And they did the T-shirts with my face on it. And so Wrexham was also represented there. And I was proud of that, that it was a, a, a two-for-one hit. Um, but but for, for me... And for what it did for for my country, Trinidad and Tobago, it, it, it's 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 special. It, it is special. Um, and as you mentioned, you know the the, the only Wrexham player and the first. Um, I think that's 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 an honour to to hold something like that. Um, and I'm proud of it. I'm I'm really proud because as you as we discuss, my start to my end, it was two different things. Yeah. And to be able to start and, and, and mature and grow that way and to become part of this football club and to be respected the way that I am respected by, you know, certain of, a lot of the Wrexham fans. I'm, I'm really humble and honoured about that. And it's, it's, it is a proud, proud feeling for me personally. Obviously, you, you not only did you play for your country, you managed your country. This, that was a, a post, you know, post-playing career. You managed Trinidad and Tobago. You worked under Roberto Martinez at, at Wigan. Obviously, not a bad coach himself in the current climate. <laughs> um, I imagine you still keep in touch with him. You're currently at Coventry City. Amongst this entire um, coaching um, career, obviously, Sam Ricketts had left the club, had left Wrexham in 2018. You were installed as one of the, the hot favourites. I know you've gone on record to say that, you know, 
for the reasons why you didn't take that job at the time because you were the you were the national team manager. Just take us a, a bit about how that came about because you know you still got base in, in in the town, Stroke City, and so on and so forth. So, were you approached by the club? How, how did that come around? Um, it, well, it was all done through my agent at the time, and the conversations were being held. I, I personally never directly had any 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 discussions with the club because obviously I had to respect the contract I was in yeah. um, with Trinidad and Tobago at the time. And as I've said before, and I'd probably say again, it probably was the right job at the wrong time. Right. Because I was doing a job that emotionally there is a relationship with, which is to manage my country. And then you got a job offer from the club that you actually have an emotional attachment to. And, you know, as you said, I, I still live in the city. It's still home for me. So it was the right job at the wrong time and vice versa. If it was the other way around, I would have probably had to do the exact same thing because of the fact that I respected both entities that much that I felt it would be unfair to leave one to go to the other. Whether or not it's the right thing I did, who knows? For me, it was the right thing at the time because I'm a guy of principle. Um, I try and honor things. Um, you know, I, I, I made a commitment to the Trinidad Tobago FA and I wanted to try and follow through. Um, so I don't see it as any regret whatsoever. I just see it as right job, wrong time. You know what I mean? But, you know, it, it's great to see the club now understanding that they are in and hopefully this season will be our season that we can accomplish what we want to accomplish. Were you were you flattered by that interest at the time? Considering how long it had passed between playing for the team and then obviously you'd gone into coaching. So when your when your name is mentioned amongst fans and all, people thinking, oh yeah, you know what? That's not a bad not a bad appointment if it comes off. So when when that, that when the club are interested in you, surely that that gives you an idea of, of what you're achieving post post playing career. Yeah, um, you you're very flattered about these things, um, and you, you're honoured to be linked with probably any job, but to be linked with jobs for clubs that you've got a relationship with, it just gives you an idea that you know you you're still well thought of at the football club. And you still, you know, respected. Um, so, yes, you are flattered. You are humble. And you do fantasize in your head what it would be like to be there, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but ultimately, you make a decision and you move on. Um, you know, I mean, I, I support the club now in a different way because I'm not able to know all the details because of my hectic workload. So I support the club based on results. You know what I mean? When I can get to games, I do get to games. Um, it, it's good to be there. Um, so, uh, look, it, it's great great to still be part of that football club, whether it be on a, on a, on a pitch on the wall or, you know, in thought or in conversations. I'm always honoured about these things and, and, and I've got nothing but huge respect for this football club. And obviously, delighted and, and, and happy where you are at the moment. Sort of, is it first team coach at Coventry, Mark Robbins? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's it's been 
fantastic, you know, last season on the first, we had an outstanding season. This is my second season, I'm working with some really, really good people, um, an ambitious football club that want to achieve things. Um, and, and, and I'm enjoying it. Um, I'm enjoying it because why I'm, I'm a football person. I just enjoy being involved in football. Um, I'm not motivated to be a manager, assistant, first team coach. I'm just motivated to be involved in football. And as long as I'm involved in football, I'm happy. Um, it, it, it soon comes to an end at some point in your, in your life. But for now, I'm, I'm, I'm doing what I love and I enjoy it. Fantastic. Dennis, can I just ask you, about, let's end, on, let's end on, a, on a proper football maverick. <laughs> Tell us more about Hector Sam. How Hector. And do you still see him? I haven't seen him for a while. Um, I haven't spoke to him for a while, but I think Hector is unique. <laughs> um, he was unique because he was an outstanding footballer on his day. When Hector is on fire on his day, he's, he's, he's on fire. But he just had a unique way of doing things. He was different. Um, and <laughs> he, he was one that he was set in his ways of things that he wanted it had to be right for him, for him to be able to perform. And, and, and one of these things was his Chinese that he loved when he was in the UK. But I could remember we, so I went to his apartment and we sat and he goes, right, we're going to have a Chinese tonight, me and him. And he picked the phone up and he rang. And when he rang, the lady went, hello, Mr. Sam. And I was laughing my head off because <laughs> she knows it's you, like. So he, he, no, he was unique. He was, um, he was fun to be around. Um, unfortunately for him, me personally, I didn't think he uh, achieved what he should have achieved in his football career because he couldn't stick the program. He couldn't follow through with his ability. Um, and I think he's back in Trinidad. I think he's doing well. I know he's got. Uh, a son, I think it is. So I haven't spoke to him for a while, but I want to believe he's doing well. <laughs> what a player. What a guy. Smiliest player. You've got the tallest player in you. You've got the smiliest player in Hector. Unbelievable. Yeah, he, he was unique. He, he was unique. He played with a smile on his face. And I mean, look, I, the reason why I respect him is because I, I respect what the game has become today. Yeah. It's become a business. It's become an industry. And, and I love that part about it. But I got involved in football as a kid because I thought it was an enjoyable game. And when you look at people like Hector, and even you go high up and you look at Dwight, the way that they play with a smile on the face and they were able to enjoy the football, I think that's a unique trait that I love seeing in these people. And Hector was just like that. He just he just enjoyed the game for what it was. Yeah. Um, couldn't really link his ability to his mentality, you know what I mean? But he, he lovely guy, and you know I wish him all the best and whatever he's doing. I hope he wasn't wearing that white suit when he had the Chinese. That'd be disaster. He probably would be. <laughs> I was there when he scored a hat trick at Oldham. It was an I was there moment. Absolutely amazing. Um, Dennis, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on. Um, some fantastic stories. I'm sure there's loads more. Um, but don't want to keep you forever because we, we could sit here all day and discuss everything to do with the club and, and what you've achieved and so on. But it's been a delight. It, it was it was a delight watching you then. It's a delight listening to you now. So, you know, on behalf of all of us here and 
those who are going to listen to this, just thank you so much for for joining us and and, and telling us those stories. To be honest, thank you very much for having me, Tim and Andrew and Liam. Um, thanks for being here. Um, and as I said, wishing Wrexham a fantastic season, and we're going to do it this season. Dennis spoke well as as, as normal as, as we thought he would. Tim, any particular standout bits for you? Oh, it was just always good to hear about his stories. You know, World Cup and representation down Tobago, and just just generally his, his his general attitude to life, not just football. It's just he's just a very infectious kind of guy. You know, very sort of matter of fact. Uh, you know, I just love the fact that one minute he's just you know wrestling with the fact that he doesn't want to, want to work in a supermarket to the next next thing he's he's over here um, playing his trades in, in the football league. So just a really nice guy. Um, and it would have been very interesting to see what, what he would have been like as Rex manager, but maybe we'll never know. Yeah, I do sort of think maybe that ship has sailed a little bit. I mean, I think yeah. I think he would have he he would have done a good job for us, and I think he would have been very popular, and he would have commanded respect. But you know, I I, I don't know if we're if we'd look to go back for him now, which is a shame because you know it might it could be what what could have been. Um, he, may, he, he may have recruited. He may have even recruited some Trinidadian players right here, right now, because we're now no longer bound by those stupid rules. FIFA have pulled their finger out of their ass and have now said Wrexham can sign players whenever they want to fall in line with every other team in the National League. About time. No more scraping around in the bargain bucket for Gold Amateo, etc. Oh, you leave gold out of this. I mean, I did call him the worst Brexit player I'd ever seen at, at one point during this spell, but, I'm, but it was all in good fun. Um, Liam, is that a bigger victory than the 2-1 against Eastleigh? It's one of those, it's, like the, it's such a weird one when you think of it as an announcement. It's like quite, you know, it's a, a technicality really, but for us, it's been, it, it has held us back and the playing field hasn't been level. And I had a few people chuck over to me on Red Posh and saying, oh, you're going to say well done to your mate Harvey? Then I'll say, well, bloody well done to whoever's done that because the lobbying to get that done, it must have taken a fair bit of effort um, to get it sorted because it's been hanging over our heads for so long. And to be honest, I didn't think that there was you know a solution to it on the horizon. So when that announcement came, it was quite a shock for me. And I think it could make a huge difference to us because look what Stockport added last season, whereas we were you know we're looking at solutions like Charlie Trafford <laughs> yeah, who's he? <laughs> I don't know yeah. still. <laughs> right, um, let, let's sum this up and let's go into predictions. Now, I have a delight to inform uh, inform you guys that I got it spot on this week, so I'm already on five points. Unfortunately, so is Liam because he went the same as me. Uh, Tim, Tim and Reese both went for wins, so you're on two. Um, we have Yeovil away on Saturday, Tim. First off, are you going? And what do you think the score would be? Has it always been five points for a win and two for a, a correct? Yeah, yeah, it always has. Yep. Check the, check the score. Oh, well, I am the scoremaster. And so what I do say does go. But yes, it's definitely five yeah. points. Well, can, can, can you tell Reese to do his pissing uh, forfeit from last year then? I don't care. Yeah, if he's well, got what we need to do is... Just to say that our new uh, new edition of the fanzine will be out early next month, and I think Reese should at least sell it in a Chester shirt. So I think, wow. as he's not here, that is what's going to happen. And come and buy one off Reese and punch him in the nose. 
You, what about, are, would anybody buy it if he was wearing it? What about his mm. face on TV, though? You know, he's it's got a very valuable face. I think it's insured now. Well, reputational damage. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, I'm anyway, sure he'll my, 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 my prediction in Somerset, am I going? No, I'm working. I'm keeping my powered driver chest to the other way. Uh, you know what? I think we'll improve. Yeovil are going to be smart, and they lost to Scunthorpe, didn't they, on Saturday 2-1. Uh, I still think we'll win. I'm going to go 2-0, Rexon. 2-0. 2-0. Do you want to do Chesterfield as well while they're here? I don't know. Are we, are we going out next Monday or are we are we, uh, are we doing it? Are we going to be releasing before that game? Um, ooh, ooh, now, you're, now you're talking. Um, let's not. Let's just do Yeovil. Right. Okay. There you go. Pressure's on us to get one out next Monday now. Yeah, absolutely. You know, you we'll put the hammer down there. Um, Liam, what do you think? Oh, I never like to go the same. I was going to go 2-0, but going to be different. I'll go 3-1 to us. 3-1. Uh, I'm going to go for a draw. I think there's still a work in progress, and I don't mind that. I think there's a lot of talented players in it together. Um, I think it's going to be one each, and I think we're going to get someone sent off. Ooh. You don't get extra points yeah. for that, premonition. Well, I should. <laughs> We're well, two games in, so we're due a red card, aren't we? <laughs> who do you reckon would get sent off? If there was any player that was going to get sent off right here, right now against Yeovil, who's it going to be? Oh, God. Luke Young, Come two on. yellow cards. What <laughs> Luke Young, two yellow cards? Plasses, man, in the squad. Super Paul's wow. yeah. just getting frustrated about something and going two-footed and claim he slipped. Well, well you know, he's, he's, from, he's from that neck of the woods. He's going to see the price of the cider and he's going to flip. Who are? He, flip. he flipped against Newport all those years ago in the, in the cup. He won the yeah, ball. He's pretty, pretty hard tackle. I tell you what, he's been good as gold since then <laughs> as well. So I don't know why I've, yeah. I've decided that he's he's going to go mental. Uh, but anyway, on that note, let's tie it up for this week. And thanks very much, for everyone, as always, for listening. Uh, we do have a guest for next week, but we're not 100% sure which one yet. But we, we've got a few recorded, so there's 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 plenty to, to give you over the next few weeks. From me yeah. and everyone else, goodbye. Cheers. Cheers, see you soon.